sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Oh, yeah. It's that time. Welcome in. Cover it with Teddy Covers on Sirius XM Channel 159, the Sports Grid, a radio network. Over the course of the next hour, we're going to get to hang out with Eric Pauly from SportsMemo.com, and we're going to break down the world of Major League Baseball. We're going to talk about his process. We're going to talk about the mistakes recreational bettors make. We're going to talk about the mistakes professional bettors makes. Then we're going to talk about lineups and bullpens and over teams and under teams and undervalued squads and overvalued squads. Yeah. We're going to get deep into MLB and teams we can bet on and make money with right now with Eric Pauly. But before we get in to bring in, before I bring Eric into the conversation, I do want to spend a few minutes here talking about transition time. This is transition time. I tend to think of the sports calendar like the school calendar. The year starts with football in the fall. And then as you college and pro football shifts into NHL and college and pro basketball, uh, you know, in October and November, and then you have all the sports going. And then as the springtime rolls around, all of a sudden it's MLB and basketball, college basketball will be done uh, by the end of the weekend, NBA playoffs uh, on tap. But MLB starts to take center stage at this time of year. So it is transition time. And I've heard this. I probably heard this expression, I think, and I'm not even exaggerating, a hundred times over the course of the last week with people talking about how to bet baseball. How do we bet baseball in this transition time? What do we do with baseball? And this expression is the same every time. Well, it's a marathon, not a sprint. If you're new to sports betting, you might not have heard that expression before. If you're an experienced at sports betting, you've heard that expression many, many times. I was thinking about that this week. I'm like, what does that actually mean? What is marathon, not a sprint? I mean, we know what it means. You know, it's, it's a, by definition, a marathon is not a sprint. You know, a marathon means you need to pace yourself. But what does that actually mean on a day-in, day-out basis? You know, we talk about the hare and the turtle, slow and steady wins the race. Remember, the hare was minus 10,000 at least. Actually, it was probably higher than that against the turtle. <laughs> you know, you're going to take turtle in that bet? I wouldn't have. Uh, neither did anyone else. But that slow and steady wins the race concept, what does it actually mean? When it comes to sports betting, what does it actually mean when it comes to MLB? Well, you got to keep some energy and some patience and some passion uh, in reserve, <laughs> you know, because it's going to come. So these are some things I was thinking about when it comes to what it means to be a marathon, not a sprint. Number one, you got to build in some time off. Now, before the season starts, when am I going to take a vacation? When am I going away for the weekend? What am I going to do that's going to interrupt my flow in MLB so we can prepare for it? And what are we going to do in one of the slower times of the year? Not April, but as we get into May and June and certainly July. July is the slowest month of the year uh, for sports betting. You're not going to hear much out of me in the month of July. You know, that's when I take my vacation. That's when I build, uh, build in my time off. And I encourage you, as a baseball better, to think about that now. All right, <laughs> you know, when's your time off going to be? What are your weekends away going to be? And prepare for it. Another thing we mean when we talk about it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, again, baseball goes from March to November, MLB, just about every day. You got to build in some time off. Another thing that you want to do when you're talking about marathon, not sprint sports. And look, 
Make no mistake about it, football's a sprint, particularly college football. College football, you blink and the season's half over, and you blink again, and it's the end of November, and you're talking about bowls. You know, that's just how it works. Only one game a week, and the teams only play, what, the 12, 13 games, uh, 14 counting bowls for the season. In which case, it's not always about making sure that you're managing your, I mean, it's always about managing your bankroll effectively, but it's a situation where you're talking about, you know, 14, 15 weekends as opposed to every day for the next six months. So one of the keys to marathon, not a sprint, means you're going to keep your unit sizes reasonable. All right? It means you're not going to start off betting, let's say, oh, yeah, I'm going to bet a third of my bankroll on every play in MLB. Not going to happen. You know, I keep my unit sizes small for the marathon, not a sprint sports. Because over the course of the year, over the course of the season, you'll have ample opportunity. If you're winning money, uh, if you're winning bets, you'll make money. But you certainly don't want to come out of the gate with big unit sizes in your marathon type sports. You're going to struggle at some point this season. doesn't matter what type of better you are. You can be a great better. You can be a terrible better. You can be an experienced baseball better. You can be an inexperienced baseball better. At some point, you're not going to be seeing things clearly, and you're not going to be winning. When struggling in a marathon sport, you're going to take it back a notch. All right, that's not a time to be betting all of your opinion. It's certainly not a time to be raising unit sizes. And when surging, it's the exact opposite of that. Even in a marathon, even in a you know the seven months that we're talking about, eight months. When you're surging, that's when you make your money. Don't be afraid to press it up a little bit <laughs> when you're seeing things clearly. When I'm seeing things clearly, I'm going to have deeper cards, and my bet size are going to be a little bit higher. The key, of course, is staying in the game, and that goes with anything. You know, anytime we're talking about betting. But you can't stay in the game when your MLB bankroll is blown before the beginning of May. So <laughs> I guess the, the, the most important thing where we say it's a marathon not a sprint means take it easy out of the gate don't go nuts this first week in mlb don't go nuts next week either if you're seeing things clearly if you're winning bets right now yeah it's okay to pepper the board with wagers but many people most people come out of the gate a little bit slow in mlb don't be the guy whose bankroll is shot before the calendar turns to may all right Eric Pauly is going to join me next right here on Cover It With Teddy Covers when we continue after this brief commercial message. Please stay tuned. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Cover it with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM, Channel 159, the Sports Grid Radio Network. And you guys know me. I love the first-time guests. I do. I love the young guys who are hungry. All right? You know, we got lots of veterans on this show. All right? It's, it's, the, it's the bread and butter for Cover It With Teddy Covers. But um, I love to give young guys a platform. I love for them to get a chance to show what they know and what they've learned. Uh, about the sports betting world. And we've got a good one today in Eric Pauly uh, at Slime Action on Twitter. Eric, welcome to the program. I hope I didn't hype you too much, but I think you're a pretty sharp <laughs> young capper, and I'm excited to have you making your cover it debut today. Yeah, Teddy, for starters, I really want to thank you for allowing me to be on your platform. I'm really looking forward to speaking some baseball with you guys. 
For those, of course, who don't know me, I am Eric Pauly. Like Teddy said, you can find me on Twitter at Slime Action. Right now, currently working as the director of analytical content for the Gold Sheet. Now, I know a lot of you sports fans and gambling fans, I'm sure, are familiar with the Gold Sheet, obviously founded in 1957, one of the longest-running sports betting newsletters and handicappers in the entire country. Um, and this is not your back-in-the-day Gold Sheet that we're building. We are completely revamping everything, and I'm kind of at that forefront of making sure we are kind of blending these new analytical trends with old kind of handicapping methods to bring the best overall handicapping product to everybody. Well, I appreciate the hype. And certainly the gold sheet, when you talk about venerable names in the sports betting world, you know, the gold sheet's been around since the 50s. I don't know if there was, uh, if there is a tip sheet longer uh, that's been around longer than the gold sheet. Of course, Mort Olsham, uh, the founder, uh, and uh, it's something that has been highly regarded here in Las Vegas when it comes to uh, sports betting newsletters. The gold sheet's certainly the gold standard in that regard. But before we get even there, you know, anytime I bring a first-time guest on, I always like to ask one question, and I think it's an important question. Who the heck are you, and why should anyone give a hoot about what you have to say about betting on sports? So uh, who are you, Eric, and why should anyone give a hoot <laughs> about your opinions? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. So um, I am Eric Foley, again, 25 years old, grew up in on Long Island in New York and went to school studying finance. And when I was in school, I actually worked, uh, I lived with one of the local bookies. At that time, I wasn't really familiar with sports betting, obviously a huge sports fan, but all I knew is I would sit on my couch watching football every Sunday. And one of my friends next to me would always be collecting our money as the bookie and we would be losing all the time. And finally, had a little bit of realization, there's got to be a better way to do this, right? I'm donating, I'm Venmoing him, giving him money every week. You know, I'm taking these crazy teasers, parlays, like this, this can't be a way to do that. There's got to be a method to the madness. So spent kind of the last four years not only understanding what goes into just sports betting in general, but reading books, listening to podcasts, and kind of understanding that, yes, there is a method to the madness. There is a science behind all of this. Odds are all based on statistics that are all come from implied probabilities that are all created from algorithms, numbers, stats, and all these things that, you know, nobody can really just sit there and pick winners by just looking at a screen. So dove into all those kinds of things, got my feet wet with a little bit of writing, learned from a lot of people a lot smarter than me about the right way to go about handicapping, bankroll management, and all the kind of necessary things that, again, a novice wouldn't put too much stock in at the beginning. I spent a lot of time, realistically, the last three to a half, four years learning these kinds of things. And now, again, it's brought me to the point where I am working on the gold sheet. Literally, as you guys know, on the West Coast and across the country, one of the oldest, longest-running, most reputable sports betting anything that have existed. And it's brought me to this point. So it's that kind of story from going from giving my friend money every week to now being one of the key cogs in one of the oldest and longest running sports bay newsletters in the entire country doesn't, you know, speak volumes. I don't know what else will. <laughs> sure. And I was, a, I was a bookie in Ann Arbor in my college days. Actually, I didn't do it when I was in college. After I graduated, I was a bookie uh, in Ann Arbor. And um, nobody beat us. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it, was, we were, it was literally like stealing money. Uh, beginning betters, there's a learning curve. You know, there absolutely is a learning curve. And that's why I want to start here. I want you to talk about your process. How do you decide what's a bet, what's a lean, what's an opinion? Is it stats? And if so, what stats do you use? Is it situational? And what situations do you look for? 
Tell me about your process. How you here's you know there's uh, 15 games uh, on the betting board uh, for Sunday's MLB card today, and how do you decide which one's a bet, which one's a lean, and which one is a pass? Yeah. So first of all, for the MLB, as I'm sure most people are aware, and if not, it's kind of unmistakable. This is the most data-driven sport of all. Look at the back of baseball cards from when you were a kid, if you're an older, or now. It's all everything that comes from baseball, even their contracts, arbitration, literally how these players are valued all comes down to the numbers behind how these players perform. And as time has gone on, there have been more advanced ways to realistically categorize how well or how poorly a certain player is playing. And while I'm sure some of the stats and I'm sure the eye test also works in baseball because there always is going to be that factor where if you know, you know certain things, but you can't deny that the creation of some of these more intricate stats that not only show like for example era okay your earned run average the average amount of runs you give up to the time you're pitching okay pretty simple and pretty useful however if you took a stat like fielding independent of pitching or expected fielding independent of pitching that also incorporates other factors like how a pitcher you take out the defense how is a pitcher pitching if you only look at fly balls home runs and outs that they get that does not have to relate to what the rest of the fielders are doing behind him and also relates to the ballpark that they're playing in or uses an average of all the major league ballparks combined for one. So obviously I leave the math to the professionals. I just analyze the statistics that come from the math. However, yes, when it comes to baseball, so much of it comes from these advanced statistics because, again, it's simply the math behind it you're not just taking a simple formula of how to get to a result. You're, you're taking, in some of these cases, averages based on historical data from the entire league and also the ballparks that you're playing in ballpark neutral situations. So I don't know how you can, and I'm sure there will be more advancements to these things as time goes on, as people continue to find these kinds of edges. But if you're looking at, again, these advanced metrics, they've only come from combining other factors rather than, you know, being the vanilla strikeouts, hits, batting average, there's so much more incorporated in these kinds of things. So I think that if you're not in tune with things like exit velocity, strikeout percentage, fielding independent of pitching, batting average against, uh, weights runs created plus, weighted on base average, all these kinds of stats, that first things first is to start getting familiar with those things because it's painting a much clearer picture of how players are performing. So, so here's my question about that, you know, um, and you talk about the advanced metric stats, and certainly we've talked a lot about the advanced metrics. I don't think anyone in the modern era is betting baseball looking at the uh, ERAs <laughs> or, uh, or, you know, e- even WHIP, which, which is a stat, which was key. You know, when I first came to Vegas, WHIP was a key stat, and now not so much, you know, walks plus hits uh, over innings pitched um, because they found better stats to reflect what a pitcher's true performance has been. But isn't all that stuff baked into the number? I mean, that's the biggest issue I have with the advanced metrics, particularly with the starting pitching advanced metrics. Starting pitchers now go twice through the rotation, you know, twice through the batting order. Sometimes they get the third time, but not early in the season they won't. And all those advanced metrics are baked into the number. Um, So talk to me about that a little bit. You are 100% correct. They are certainly baked into the number. You're not going to find an edge in that situation. But there are also a lot of other factors that when it comes to handicapping baseball and also just kind of like gambling one-on-one to consider 
that are more apparent in baseball, especially early in the season. Because when you're coming early into the season, of course, you're doing a lot of ideas on how you have a lot of understanding of how players performed last season. But obviously, as we know, there's no guarantee that past performance is going to, you know, show how somebody is going to play in the future. So things that also have to factor into whether or not a game is a lean, a play, if you want to stay away, because like you said, it's baked into the line. It's just like any other sport. You have to get a feel for the overall betting market as a whole at Sharp Sportsbooks. So a great example would be an opening. Well, let's talk about that after the break, Eric. Yeah, well, we'll we'll talk about some of these examples after the break. We're going to talk about mistakes recreational professional bettors make after the break. And we'll get big time in who's got the best and who's got the worst. Stay tuned. Coverage continues. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're doing a deep dive into early season MLB betting right here on Cover It With Teddy Covers, Sirius XM Channel 159, The Sports Grid Radio Network. Our guest today, Eric Pauly, at Slime Action on Twitter. And i got to ask you about that, Eric. At Slime Action, explain. Slime Action, just back from the college days, had a lot to do with some of the, the music I listened to, a lot of the, the rappers I listened to. Uh, it's an endearing term, actually, like being a slime. It's like a, it's like a family. It's somebody you trust. So that's what they called me back in college. That kind of stuck with me. Uh, big fan of the, some rappers that use that uh, in their music. So that's where it came from. I know a lot of people are questioning it, but uh, it is an endearing term. Fair enough. I like it. My kid plays with the, he calls it slime. Uh, and he, he sits there with it in his hands playing back and forth uh, all day long. So I was hoping that it wasn't that, and it wasn't. We were talking before the break about your process, how you're deciding what's a bet and what's a lean and what's an opinion, and I cut you off. You were talking about a different book's blank. You remember your thought process? Now's your chance to finish. Yes, I do. It's my bad. I didn't get my uh, the cue. I didn't pick up on it that it was time to pass back, so I'll pop this to the, viewers there, the listeners there. But something to keep in mind is, of course, there's some gambling 101 is split between public and, and sharp money. So on opening night, you had Shohei Otani, of course, the pride and joy of baseball at this point, him and Aaron Judge, going against the Oakland Athletics, who are projected to be one of, if not the worst team in all of baseball. Otani on the mound, you have the entire country laying money on the Los Angeles Angels. And what happens? The line moves in favor of the Oakland Athletics, and the Oakland Athletics end up winning that opening night game 2-1. to one. So while obviously, like we mentioned, there are all these advanced statistics to keep in mind when betting baseball that are baked into the number already, you still have to have that kind of betting IQ to understand how the market is, when limits are raising at certain sharps books, how the public is perceiving certain games, and where the pros are putting their money. So, again, advanced stats are huge just to have an understanding and to actually be able to be into this game, but you still need to have those just key betting insights and understanding of how the market itself works in the first place so what are the biggest mistakes that you see recreational betters make you know you talked about your transition from being a recreational better to being a professional better what are the mistakes that recreational betters make in mlb that that uh they should really try to avoid i think the biggest mistake is they don't reverse engineer their thought processes but processes they just think that something that's so straightforward like for example you have two stud pitchers pitching 
bet the under, you don't even consider that. But obviously, in reality, that's all baked into the number. There's one specific bet type that I think fits this mold perfectly, and that's the no-run first-inning bet type that has now become the most popular way to bet across a lot of the new recreational group of younger bettors, and that's because it's just six quick outs, a quick sweat. It's, it's thrilling when you, when you have some action on that, but the way that these recreational bettors are going at it is they're just seeing, you know, Shane Bieber versus – um, Luis Castillo, like on Thursday night, and just going, there's just no way the team score a run because in the first inning because there's two studs. But little do they know that's already priced into the line. And there's actually going to be value on yes run in the first inning because all the statistics are pointing to no, it's already baked into the line. So I think just taking a step back and just having to think to yourself, this seems too good to be true. This is too obvious. More often than not, it is going to be too true, too good to be true and too obvious. And it's going to be priced into the line already. So I think just, again, taking a step back and trying to think at more of a deeper level and not just thinking of things on a surface level would be huge to just kind of rewiring your, the way your brain works is, is a big part of all of this. So and that's, uh, that's an excellent point. Although I will say this, I cashed the first five under uh, on Seattle-Cleveland on Thursday <laughs> night. And I believe that game was 0-0 after five innings. So uh, the no-run first inning cashed in there. But that's not a bet that I make. That's not a bet that most pros that I know get involved with, uh, the first inning. That's, you know, uh, it's a little bit of crack for sports bettors. Uh, you know, <laughs> just get that first inning in and out of the way. Uh, get that bet in uh, and either cashed or not cashed early on. I don't disagree that those are the types of, you know, where, where there's not that big an edge. You know, even if it's two aces or even if it's two hurlers that are going to get bombed, there's not that big an edge when you talk about a first inning, mm-hmm. yes, no run prop. So that's certainly a mistake mm-hmm. recreational. Do you see professional betters making mistakes? What kind of mistakes do they make, uh, in your opinion? Um, I mean, of course, like, with everything being so statistically heavy, like, obviously a professional who has made their bones by simply – picking off weak lines and using their own power rankings and models to, you know, originate these games. And then they see an edge based on what the market shows and they bet them. They're just sometimes too true to that process where there is a degree of knowing a sport that comes into play that is not going to show up in your model, in your analysis on the statute, unless you kind of have a feel for what's actually going on in the game. So I know a lot of professional sports players, you know, there are the types that are sitting, you know, in their setup and are strictly there all the time. They eat, sleep, and breathe watching these numbers move and using these stats and focusing on that. But I think there is that personal, like, element in that eye test element that sometimes they just fail to recognize that, again, you know, one bet you lose, one bet, you know, you shouldn't be losing sleep over losing one bet or losing too much bankroll. But there are times where some of these, things that, yes, the numbers are pointing one way, but the eye test and the real feel for the game might actually shift the game somewhere else. Yeah, if you're going to ask me what the biggest mistake recreational bettors make, I'll say it's parlays, you know, especially parlays that aren't related to one another. Let's parlay this favorite with that favorite with the other favorite. It's like, no. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing if you can find some correlation, side and total sometimes are uh, correlatable, but uh, when you're just parlaying favorites, you know, um, or if you throw in a dog to see if you can get a big plus price in. I mean, it's it's not a positive expectation situation. You're not going to see uh, winning sports bettors throw in random parlays in MLB. You ask me what the biggest mm-hmm. mistake professional bettors make. I'm probably going to say an, an over-reliance on stats that are already baked into the number. <laughs> 
You know, there's no nuance for the pro betters. They're like, hey, if it's supposed to be, uh, if, if my number says they should be minus 190 and the markets are at minus 181, I'll lay it, you know. And the, a lot of the algorithms are going to spit out numbers. You know, a lot of these guys don't watch any baseball. Um, there's no nuance to the handicap for most professional betters, for many professional mm -hmm. betters. And I find that over-reliance on stats. I'm someone, and another thing that I do less and less with every year, I do less and less with starting pitching. I could care less if it's an ace against a, uh, the worst pitcher in baseball. I'm interested in the lineups and bullpens a lot more than I am in the starters. Any thoughts on fantastic my takes point. on the mistakes that recreational or pro betters make? Thank you, making fantastic points. I have a ton of recreational betters who are now parlaying no fun first inning type of bets. I think what you did when you spoke about the uh, position you took on the Guardians-Mariners game, if you really want to hone in on the starting pitching, look at the first five. You know, you're not going to get as much. You're, you're going to have to either lay a half a run or you could take the money line there. You're probably going to have less juice on the full game. But when you include more pitchers coming into the game because of the bullpens, now you're just adding more variance to the game. And variance is a huge thing in sports betting that's going to make or break you depending on how you can deal with variance. You can't control the variance. It's going to happen. It's how you deal with the variance that kind of differentiates, again, professional and recreational better. So I think you made fantastic points. And uh, I just hopefully stop, people stop parlaying some no-run first innings because, yes, it's the adrenaline's there. But like you said, hey, it's the crack of sports betting. Um, it seems like fun when you're doing it, but over the long term, you're going to have some negative effects and see them for yourself. So I want to ask you about managers right now. Do they matter at all? You know, I mean, certainly when we look at the White Sox from last year and say Tony La Russa might have been the worst fit of any manager for any team in modern mm -hmm. history. And then, uh, and then La Russa's gone and the White Sox are now expected to uh, be a better team without him. So a manager can suck a team dry, potentially. A bad manager. But mm -hmm. do good managers help that much? Are there, are there other La Russas waiting in the wings this year? Talk to me about managers for a minute. A manager you like, a manager you don't like, or, or you really don't worry about it that much. Yeah, so I think it's, it's very interesting. Like, it can only help to have a good manager. Like, first off, the first person I think of in the MLB is Terry Francona, manager now of the Cleveland Guardians. Cleveland Guardians, a team that does not like to spend a lot of money. Once in a while, they will keep a homegrown guy like Jose Ramirez, but more often than not, when people are approaching the time for a big payday that came through Cleveland's system, they're just going to trade him away or let him walk because they don't want to pay him the big bucks. So the fact that a guy like Francona can keep the team together throughout some of these kind of changes, and now he has one of the youngest teams in baseball he gets to cultivate, I think that you can't put a price on that. But when it comes to bad managing, I mean, like you said about LaRusso last year, and I think we're going to talk about this later, that, completely, that can completely change the complexity of a team. Just look at like the Blue Jays last year. They had Charlie Montoya start off as the manager. He did not do well for them. And then a team that was expected to really make some noise last year ends up solely underperforming. And one of the best examples I can bring up, and now not from this season so far, of course, we're two games in, but the World Baseball Classic, Team USA had Mark DeRosa be their manager, his first time managing. And in that game against the Japan in the championship, he elected to go to Kyle Freeland, a traditional starter by trade, to, to try to eat some relief innings. And he allowed a run that ended up kind of being that different, the difference maker in the Japan's 3-2 win there. And I think if you're a manager with experience, you're not going to necessarily – like, like I, we talked about pro betters, like, yes, there's going to be stats to bring in a reliever who's great against lefties, against a lefty batter late in the game. Like, of course, you always do that. But 
when it comes to like a middle of the game kind of thing, like, yeah, you want a starter who can know to eat innings, but you want to just really put your best pitcher out there, even if it leads to a chain of pitching. So while it's not as important as in other sports, good managing, there's definitely, a, there's definitely a place in the sport and a helpful if your manager clearly shows that they know what they're doing. And uh, I hope you feel the same way, Teddy. I think manager pretty meaningless. But when we come back from our break, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question on this. I'm going to ask you, all right, you talked about last year's managers. Who are the managers this year that's <laughs> bet on or bet against? Much more with Eric Pauly coming up after this when covering continues right here on Sirius XM Channel 159. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. There's nothing like being informed with all the odds, analysis, and best bets all day long. How do you get that? It's real simple. Follow us on Twitter, at SportsGrid at SportsGrid Radio, at SportsGrid TV, and stay on the grid. Again, at SportsGrid, at SportsGrid Radio, and at SportsGrid TV. You can follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore covers. And you can follow today's guest, Eric Pauly, uh, on Twitter at Slime Action. Slime Action. You were talking about managers before the break. You said Terry Francona is a good manager. Bet on. Give me a manager you don't like. Eric, someone we can bet against, someone who's going to cost his team five or ten games before they get fired this year. Well, looking at who's going to get fired, I mean, it, it's kind of tough. We saw a couple, little bit of turnover on some of these rebuilding rosters last season. I think that the hot seat is kind of getting, or the seat is kind of getting warm, I should say, for a guy like Aaron Boone of the New York Yankees. I mean, a lot of those decisions that come from the roster come from Brian Cashman, the general manager. And Boone is a little bit of a puppet per se, but I think that if the Yankees, with due to the injuries, might not have a great season, as great of a season as people think this year, and Boone might be the sacrificial lamb for that, maybe not this season, but in the upcoming seasons, his seat is definitely going to get a little bit warmer if they don't end up making it and winning a World Series. Is Boone LaRussa? Is Boone, is Boone a guy that's going to I understand if the Yankees underachieve this year, he'll lose his job. But I'm looking specifically right now for a manager who's going to cost his team games, <laughs> uh, whose team's going to underachieve because he is at the helm. Uh, we had Montoya last year in Toronto. We had Larusa in Chicago. Does anyone stand out for you in 2023 in that regard? Actually, great question. And there's nobody right now who I'm looking at that's going to kind of lead such a big dumpster fire like like those guys did over the course of the season last year. So. Something that we're going to have to wait and see how the season progresses. But off the top of my head, not somebody right now who I really think is going to kill their team's chances as, as much as those guys did last season. Let's talk about some of these rosters, all right? Because in MLB, for me, uh, like I said, I, I pay less and less attention to starting pitching every year. Lineups, bullpens. Talk to me about lineups. Give me the best lineups in baseball. And obviously we know what the Padres and the Dodgers and the Yankees, the high bankroll teams are supposed to do. But give me a good lineup that people aren't talking about as much as they should. Or give me a bad lineup that people aren't talking about as much as they should. How about one of each? Yeah, perfect. So one of the bad lineups that I think are being unders talked about, and this is the play that I actually had. I love the under for the season win total. Miami Marlins. I mean, 
they traded away Pablo Lopez from their pitching staff. Now we're not talking starting pitching, and they're kind of putting all their eggs in like this Alcantara, Lizardo basket. And I don't think that they can get there with just their pitching. Then you look at their lineup, and I think it's very underwhelming. They don't have really a lot of players who can take advantage of the great hitting ballpark that they play in. They do have a lot of guys who can get on base and steal, but if you don't have guys who are going to get the ball into the gaps for these players who are getting themselves in scoring position, it's going to still be hard to score runs. Uh, they're lucky they don't get to have, they don't have to play the Mets, Phillies, and Braves as much this season. But I think that the Marlins lineup is really underwhelming, and I think that even though their win total was at like 60, 76 and a half, which I was not expected to be good, I think that they could trend to being one of the worst teams in baseball this year. So that's kind of my pick right now for not really, a uh, again, an overpriced lineup or anything that people are, like, touting as to be great. But I really don't think that that lineup is good whatsoever. Yeah, the Marlins lost an MLB-high 41-run games last year. They played in an MLB-high 64 one-run games in total. They went 24-40 and 40 in those contests. And uh, Eric Pauly says, expect continued one-run losses from a team that simply <laughs> cannot hit the baseball. What about a good lineup? A lineup that's going to uh, score runs in bunches that maybe people aren't talking about just yet. Yeah, so this is coincide with the team that we're going to talk about a little bit later, but the first team that I want to talk about, and they're not as under the radar as I'd like them to be for this kind of segment, but I think there's been just so much talk about the Phillies because obviously defending national champs at Trey Turner, the Mets, for all the spending they do, but the the Atlanta Braves are just so good. I mean, you top to bottom that order. You have Acuna coming back healthy. The ex-MVP candidates along this roster in Olsen and Riley. Got like Albies is batting fourth, who would really be like a prime candidate to be the best player on some teams. And he's a little bit of an afterthought, and now that's like a Marcelo Zuna, a rookie Michael Harris, and some really good depth at catching. So they're a team that I think their offense is great, but no one. But another team that's floating a little bit under the radar who had a great opening day, the Chicago Cubs. Their pitching staff scares me, but if you look at their lineup, they have a really stout lineup. They added a lot and spent a lot of money to do so this season. And I really think that the team that can keep themselves in games just by being able to knock the baseball around, especially playing in Wrigley, those home games, I think the Chicago Cubs have a very underrated lineup this year. When it comes to the mentality in MLB, I don't think there's anything that sucks the life out of a clubhouse more than a bad bullpen. Team gets off to a lead, starting pitcher pitches well. Bullpen comes in and blows it. Happens once, no big deal. Happens twice, no big deal. Starts happening regularly, and all of a sudden, the starting pitching's not as good, <laughs> the lineup's not as good, and they're not even taking leads before the bullpen blows them. Talk to me about bullpens. Give me an underrated bullpen and an overrated bullpen right now in MLB action. Underrated bullpen, and for their sake, it's lucky they have an underrated bullpen is because they're going to need the help due to some injuries. Cleveland Guardians. They have one of the best bullpens in all of baseball. Emmanuel Classe, arguably one of the best closers in all of baseball. And I would just simply consider them, it's like the way that they have guys who can pitch more than one inning coming out of their pen, I think is a huge bonus for Cleveland because, like you said, the game's shorter, much, a lot shorter now. Stars only going through the road, through the order one or two times. Lucky if you get through three times in the order. So the fact that the Guardians do have a lot of names of players who can shut the door on the opposing teams shorten the game, and pitch one to two to three innings if need be is a huge bonus for them. And going to the worst bullpens, I mean, obviously you have the Nationals, the Athletics, the Tigers, but a team that I think, like you said, would really deflate the team's chances of doing anything good 
is the Los Angeles Angels. Their bullpen, I'm just looking at, I'm looking at them, their roster as we speak, and there's not a single name that you look at there that is somebody who is going to shut the door on a team, shorten the game for the Angels' help. And like you said, a team that struggles to get out in front and win games in the first place. Now, if you do have a lead, you're going to a bullpen that doesn't have a single name on it of somebody who had a higher than a .5 war of last season. Not sure you could have any confidence in this Angels team whatsoever. Obviously, we've seen they can't do anything with Trout and Otani. I don't think that their future looks any brighter this season whatsoever. And the bullpen's a big reason why. Well, when we talk about a bad bullpen and a good lineup, to me, that's uh, one of my favorite scenarios. Good lineup, bad bullpen, you bet that team over. Bad lineup, good bullpen, you bet that team under. Does anyone stand out to you right now when it comes to an over team or an under team in that regard? Over team, definitely looking at the San Diego Padres. Their bullpen is good, so I guess it's a caveat, but I'm very underwhelmed by their starting pitching, so I think that they could fit in that mold. Another team is the Boston Red Sox. Their starting pitching, unless Chris Sale is able to be good, is not looking so great, and I think their lineup is slightly underrated. They don't have, of course, the lost Bogarts and some of the studs, J.D. Martinez, that they've had in the past, but I love Yoshida, who they signed from Japan, Verdugo, and some other guys, Tristan Cass, the rookie. They're good players. But that bullpen, man, is really abysmal. So I think that the Red Sox are a team that has a good lineup, bad pitching, like we saw on opening day, 10-9, 19 runs combined, going way over that total of nine. And teams that have bad lineups and good pitching, I'm not going to call these lineups really bad. You mentioned Cleveland, their lineup can use some work. But I think Seattle, they tried to do some work to get their lineup a little bit more intact this season, but they were an under team mostly last year. I think they still have that under kind of mold for this team because, again, the lineup lacks a little bit of firepower. Pitching is great. Another team, the Brewers, they have great starting pitching, great bullpen, but, again, they've yet to figure out over the last couple of seasons now how to really build a lineup that's going to compete with some of these sluggers like the Mets, Braves, Phillies, Cardinals, Padres, Dodgers, and the NL. They've been severely lacking hitting for the last couple of seasons. Yeah, Seattle, a team I'm still mad at Seattle. For that 18 inning loss to Houston, where they lost one nothing at home, you know, and that wasn't the was... lineup didn't work that day. It didn't work that well on opening day either. Uh, as for uh, uh, Milwaukee, um, I don't think their pitching's that good. The Brewers pretty high on my list of teams I'm looking to fade. I faded them on opening day, and that won't be the last time I'm fading even Milwaukee's aces this season. I don't think that squad can hit. We've got just a few minutes left here with Eric Polly. Eric, right now. This very moment, one week, not even a week into the season, give me your number one undervalued squad in MLB and your number one overvalued squad. Undervalued squad, Chicago White Sox. I mean, they're bringing back, obviously, we talked about La Russa, and you can't put a you, – literally, you can, I guess. We lost them probably 10 to 15 games last season, and the injuries really derailed them. But the Chicago White Sox get lucky with some injuries and don't have the same sheer volume of injuries to their studs. They have a lot of the same pitching and pieces offensively and in their pitching staff coming back from last year. And this was a roster that was touted to be one of the best in baseball last year, almost a surefire, a surefire playoff team. Obviously, vastly underperformed for those two reasons. And now this year, they're getting looked at like they're just middle of the pack when last year the same cast of characters was being touted as a potential World Series team. We saw what they did opening night against Houston. They were able to get 11 hits in that game. Bullpen tried their best to blow that baseball game, but, you know, they were able to still secure the win. Obviously, 160-plus games to go here, but I think the White Sox 
really just the same team and now they're just getting disrespected, in my opinion. And overvalued squads, it's tough to say because I really think that it's hard for them to be overvalued, but the Los Angeles Dodgers, they lost some really good pitching pieces to their team last year, and they didn't really include as many new bats as I'd like. Obviously, I love the J.D. Martinez signing, but I think the Dodgers team, unless they do go all in on another deadline type of deal to add another disgruntled star this offseason, predominantly in their pitching staff, that they might just be another, you know, 100-win regular season team, but they're not making any noise coming into the postseason. Wow, because I, I have the Dodgers in my personal uh, scale. I have the Dodgers an undervalued squad right now. I think the market's way overreacted to the dead weight they tossed in the offseason. Um, when I look at the Dodgers pitching, their starting pitching goes, what, nine deep? Their bullpen goes about 20 deep, and we know they're going to be buyers at the trade deadline. I think the Dodgers are being priced as a lesser team, even in a world where they're every bit as good as they've been in every recent season. So Eric, Pauly, and I are going to disagree about the boys in blue from L.A. Eric, we got about 90 seconds left, my friend. Give our folks a, a bettable opinion for today on Sunday and promote yourself. Tell folks where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter, like I said, at Slime Action, and every single day at goldsheet.com, busting out new free content every single day. Game breakdown, power rankings, advanced odd screens with, with uh, future odds that are automatically updating. So many great things coming to the gold sheet. So the gold sheet you, you, you knew and loved, all that's still there, except it's getting more and more modern and more improved. So a very great thing is going there. The free angle to look at for this weekend, the Mets against the Marlins. We have Kode Sango, one of the Mets' key free agent signings from Japan, making his debut start against the Marlins team, who their starting pitcher, Trevor Rogers, has done really well against the Mets in his career. So I think that their market is going to be kind of pointed toward the Marlins and Rodgers because they don't necessarily know how to price Senga yet. And I'll be putting my money on Cody Senga having a great start for the New York Mets to open up his MLB career. I think he's going to be a really great pitcher and do some great things for the Mets this season. Look for the Mets to knock off the Marlins, uh, says Eric Pauly in early betting action today on Sunday. Eric, really enjoyed uh, getting a chance to pick your brain on the world of MLB today. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your effort. Best of luck this MLB season. When we return, I've got a bettable opinion in baseball. Stay tuned. Coverage continues after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And we're here in the home stretch of Cover It with Teddy Covers. Listen, if you missed any portion of today's program, you want to go back and hear about what I was talking about at the open of the show. We're talking about some of the key issues when it comes to it's a marathon, not a sprint in MLB. If you want to hear anything Eric Pauly talked about in his three segments here on the show, you want to go back and listen to the whole thing again. If you want to check out... Last week's shows, or last month's shows, or last year's shows. It's real simple. Every single Cover It With Teddy Cover is available for download and consumption as a podcast. Wherever you download your podcast, just search Cover It or Cover It With Teddy Covers. Download and consume at your convenience. I encourage you. Again, check out today's show, yesterday's show, last week's show, last month's show. They're all there. 
Just download the podcast version of Cover It with Teddy Covers. I've got a bettable opinion in MLB for today on Sunday. A bettable opinion in MLB. And, of course, we are recording early. I do not have lines in front of me. But I do know one thing. I want to fade the Boston Red Sox. I want to fade the Red Sox at home. I want to fade the Red Sox on the road. I want to fade the Red Sox in good weather. I want to fade the Red Sox in bad weather. This is a team primed. And again, when you're getting kicked around on your home field by opening day by by the only other realistic candidate for last place in your division, (laughs) okay, when you, instead of re-signing, and it's not like Boston short on payroll, you know, they don't have payroll dollars, but the Red Sox have made poor decisions with their payroll dollars. They made poor decisions in terms of their starting staff. They made poor decisions in terms of their lineup. They made poor decisions in terms of their bullpen. I don't think this team is necessarily even mediocre. They might be mediocre. What are they lying? 77 wins? I'm not convinced they get there. And I certainly don't want any part of Boston at home against a Baltimore team that was undervalued in the betting marketplace all last year. And all I heard all March is people telling me, oh, the Orioles, they can't live. They can't do that again. They're overvalued. No, I'm not convinced that's the case. Let's take Baltimore in MLB today. Best of luck with all your wagers. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys again next week right here on Cover It with Teddy Covers. Cheers.